Before we get started today on this Scouting Ministry Sunday, since I was an Eagle Scout and my daughter works for Girl Scouts, and we're blessed to be back in the sanctuary for at least one worship service, let, let me get a selfie. I just thought that would be a great way to start the day. Sorry about that. But what better way to start worship than with a picture of ourselves, right? Have you heard that the Duluth, Georgia Police Department recently offered a warning? They said this, we have received reports that a highly addictive substance will soon be arriving in our area. These substances go by several different street names. Listen out for these particular words and phrases. You may have heard them already, Thin Mints, Samoas, Tagalongs. Dosidos, trefoils, and even s'mores, please be on the lookout. This operation is primarily run by young girls who lure you in with a compelling story about a good cause, and soon you're hooked. If you come into contact with any of these items, you can drop them off at your local police station. Officers will be happy to assist you with proper disposal of this contraband. I too was drawn into their scheme recently, only to be severely disappointed for everyone knows that a serving size for Thin Mints is one sleeve of Thin Mints, amen? Somehow the box erroneously states that four cookies are the serving size. Are you kidding me? This trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean and reverent scout knows better. A sleeve is a serving, right? Any Thin Mint fans out there? They are the best sellers. How about Boy, Boy Scout popcorn fans? You may be asking, are they still selling Girl Scout cookies because the year's supply that you bought two weeks ago is already gone? One woman said this, who I don't want to marry is someone who sees a table full of Girl Scout cookies for sale and thinks we only need one box. No, we need two boxes of each flavor and an extra box of Samoas to eat on the way home. That is love. Another guy said this, I was out to buy Girl Scout cookies and trying to practice self-control for Lent. So I grabbed one box and asked, do you have change for a 20? And this Girl Scout says, I mean, yeah, but you should just buy four boxes. Get thee behind me, Satan. As Roger Young might say, if you're full of Girl Scout cookies, you can always eat Samoa. Selling cookies or popcorn helps scouts learn how to interact and to deal with different kinds of people. They're good lessons. Dealing with people like those who are thrilled that you still have Thin Mints or the new gluten-free toffee ones. And those who are disappointed and sometimes even belligerent when you don't offer what they expect. Rather than just donating to a worthy cause, People can become disgruntled when their favorite cookie is missing from the selections on the table. I've seen it. You may have seen it too. Wait, I think it's time for another selfie. Thanks for your patience. Have you ever dealt with someone who was disgruntled? I know that people can be disgruntled. You've seen them. So I had to ask the question, can people also be gruntled? Yes, in fact, gruntled is a word. It means satisfied and pleased. Disgruntled literally means to utter a low grunt. So I tried the same thing with one of the key words from today's gospel lesson, rebuked. What a great word, rebuked, unless it's happening to you. Can someone buke the first time only to be rebuked later? 
Buke does appear in other languages. In China, buke is the practice of taking extra classes in secondary school. In Japan, buke is a social class, I'm told, but in English, we only get rebuked, which is never any fun. To be rebuked, to be called out, to be called down. A friend of mine was sitting at her desk at work this week. She just finished reading Sid Linton's Lenten devotional. In fact, she even highlighted one of the lines. Jesus expressed his love when it was hard to do because that's when his love was most needed. Isn't that a great line? Jesus expressed his love when it was hard to do because that's when his love was most needed. Then her office phone rang and the woman on the other end of the line started cussing her out. She said, I haven't received my check yet. When am I going to get my check? And my friend was confused because her office doesn't write checks or send out checks. And because of this woman's language, my friend was just going to hang up. But because of Sid's devotional, she tried to calm the woman down and find out what was going on. Turns out the irate caller had dialed the wrong number. The number she was trying to call was one digit off from my friend's phone number. She helped the caller find the right number and my friend said this, that caller wasn't any nicer after I helped her, but at least I acted like I was supposed to act. Nobody likes to be rebuked. Nobody likes to be called out or called down. We join Jesus and the disciples today for some private instruction. Jesus and his disciples had just traveled through one of the most pagan places on earth. They're there in Caesarea Philippi. Used to be called Caesarea Pan after the Greek god of desolate places. You get the idea. But Philip then added his name. Another great place for a selfie. Caesarea Philippi. And there, Jesus amidst idols and shrines to other gods, Jesus asks his disciples, what's the word on the street? What are you hearing? Who do people say that I am? Jesus has spent most of his time doing amazing things, healing, walking on water, stilling storms and casting out demons. The disciples have witnessed the power and the authority of Jesus' life and his words. The word used for how Jesus spoke to demons was rebuked. Jesus shouted them down. He called them out. And now he's asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? The disciples recount what they've heard on the street. Some people think you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. Then Jesus cuts to the chase. The question we all need to answer, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter blurts it out. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And then Jesus does something strange. He sternly orders them not to tell anyone about this. And after his stern order, Jesus began to teach them about what was coming next. Here in Mark, the eighth chapter, verses 31 to 38, our text for today. Hear the good news. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. 
and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the good news according to the Gospel of Mark. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Hear this scouting prayer that was shared with me. Gracious God, we know we are your children. We want to serve you faithfully and we want to keep our promises. Help us to listen to your voice. Help us to be willing and quick to do your work. Help us to be friendly and loving and help us to thank you every day for all your gifts to us. Lord, help us to be like good scouts, ones whom the world can trust. Help us respect our neighbors and never be unjust. Help us to love all people of the world and then serve them too. Help our actions to count, dear Lord, in everything we do. Help give us strength to carry on and do our part each day. Make a place in this world for us and help us fill it, we pray. Make us what we ought to be and in thy footsteps fall. Help us to live for others, O great troop leader of us all. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Do you think Peter had earned his wilderness survival merit badge? Some of the requirements include explain the hazards you're most likely to encounter in the wilderness, what you should do to anticipate, help, prevent, or lessen these hazards, describe ways to avoid panic and maintain a high level of morale when you're lost, and explain to your counselor why that is important. It takes a lot of preparation to survive in the wilderness. Peter dropped his fishing nets to follow Jesus. He was willing to be prepared to do a good turn daily, to follow Jesus to glory and military victory, overthrowing the Roman government. He must have loved how Jesus had showed his power and authority. But now Jesus begins to teach his disciple. His inner circle is there to be taught, to share with his disciples a hard truth. Now hard truths are never easy to hear, are they? But we need to hear them for they humble us, even if they're hard to swallow. Jesus tells them quite openly, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected, and then I will be killed. Wait, what? We signed on for a leader, a Messiah, that would topple the Roman rule and establish the reign of our people to bring back Israel's glory and put it in its rightful place. But there in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus shatters their expectations for what a Messiah would be. So Peter takes Jesus aside, which would be the right thing to do, right? You share praise publicly and critique privately. Peter takes Jesus aside. Wait, Jesus, uh, while I have you here, can we get a selfie, just the two of us? Just you and me? Peter takes Jesus aside to correct him. Can you imagine doing that? Excuse me, Jesus, I think you have this stuff all wrong. The focus should be on us and what we want, right? We don't want to hear about your suffering, about your rejection and death. We want to hear about our victory. That's what we want to hear about. Peter has taken Jesus aside. And what is Jesus' response? 
Jesus leaves Peter out there in the wilderness with this reproach. For Jesus turns back and looks at the other disciples and in front of all of them, Jesus rebukes Peter, calling him out, shouting him down. Ouch, that must have hurt. All Peter's wilderness survival lessons must have vacated his mind at that very moment. Those wilderness moments can be painful, can't they? When we're left out there to dangle on the edge of the cliff after we've made a mistake or an error in judgment and it feels like such a wilderness. One of the keys to surviving the wilderness is to not panic. And how do we avoid panic? First, we over-prepare and we plan for the unexpected. Jesus has spent 30 years to be ready to survive in this wilderness. And now with this hard truth, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the wilderness days ahead of them. For hard truths can help us grow. Jesus reminds them to expect complexity, that the wilderness will not be easy. That way you will rarely be caught off guard and fear will have less room to grow in you if you are prepared, if you are ready. When we discussed this text with our staff team this month, Tamron Freund, our children's minister, said she thought Peter did this because he was afraid. And fear can get us to do irrational things like taking Jesus aside to correct him. Finally, in order not to panic, rely on something bigger than yourself. Because Jesus tells them four things to expect. I will suffer, I'll be rejected, and I will die. And I will be resurrected. In three days I will rise. There is a promise of new life. But in our panic, we can miss that. We have the camera so focused on ourselves. A new survey found out that 41% of us have already risked our safety in pursuit of a selfie, while more than half of us would stand on the edge of a cliff for that ideal photo. In fact, now selfies account for more deaths than shark attacks, 259 to some 50. Jesus looks at Peter and in front of his peers says, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. You have the camera so focused on yourself and not on God. It's not something you want to be told. Get thee behind me, Satan. It's a hard truth to hear. You have your mind set on yourself, on your needs, on your wants. But the way of the cross is the way of self-denial. Not when someone else abusively forces you to deny yourself, but when we choose to deny ourselves, to get behind Jesus and to follow him. There's an old story about a man who was quite the clothes horse. He loved keeping up with the latest fashions even when he didn't have the money. He would buy a new tie or a new suit or even a new sports coat, even though he already had a closet full. His wife told him, next time you're tempted to buy a new suit, just say to yourself, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, the next week he came home with another new suit. His wife couldn't believe it. Didn't you say to yourself, get thee behind me, Satan? And her husband said, oh yeah, I said it out loud. Get thee behind me, Satan. And then Satan said, wow, that suit looks great from the back too. All kidding aside. To have Jesus look at you and say, get behind me, Satan, must have felt like quite a rebuke. I think he's saying to Peter, you're trying to tempt me to take a shortcut here, to try to get to Easter without Good Friday. 
to claim the glory of new life without passing through the pain. Peter, you're seeing things from a human point of view. You have the camera lens turned on yourself. God sees this journey differently. Turn your camera lens so it's focused on God, knowing that the road ahead will lead to suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection so that you won't panic. Then Jesus turns to the crowd and after talking to just his disciples with that hard truth, he addresses the crowd. And this happens three times in Mark, in the eighth chapter, the ninth chapter, and the 10th chapter. Jesus reminds his disciples about his suffering, rejection, death, and then calls people to deeper discipleship, telling the crowd that following Jesus means denying oneself and taking up the cross. And yet we live in such a selfie culture, don't we? The focus of the camera is so often on us. Maybe that's why it's called the iPhone. We live in a world obsessed with self because we focus so much on ourselves, on what I want, on what I expect, on what will make me happy. How many of us have started the morning hoping that the message would be just what someone else needed? Too often we walk into worship with our cameras, cameras in selfie mode what do I need? What do I like? What do I want? Jesus tells the gathered crowds, if you want to be a disciple, a follower, you need to deny yourself and take up the cross. It's a hard truth to hear. And Jesus is not making things easier for the crowd or for us. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. And those of you who lose their life for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Dr. Evie Hill was an outspoken advocate for civil rights in the 60s in LA, not Lower Alabama, but in Los Angeles. He endured property damage, death threats, and rocks thrown through his windows. On one particular night, the phone rang and an angry caller told Dr. Hill that he was going to die the next day. We put a bomb in your car and that will be the end of you. Dr. Hill shared this threat with his wife. They talked and they prayed together that night. And after several fitful hours, Dr. Hill finally fell asleep. In the morning, he turned over in the bed only to find that his wife was not there. He jumped up out of bed and ran downstairs as quickly as he could. And she was not in a regular place at the breakfast table. He ran outside and their car was gone. And he started to get frantic at that point, but then their car pulled up into the driveway. He was visibly shaken now and he waited for his wife to get out of the car before he could question her. She said this, we just needed some milk. And she got out of the car with a gallon of milk and she marched past her husband, put the milk in the fridge and headed upstairs without a word. Dr. Hill then walked across the kitchen. He opened that refrigerator door and there on the top shelf were two full gallons of milk. He said, never again did I ask my wife if she loved me because I knew, because I knew. For that is what love does. It puts others before self. I wonder, Where's the camera of your life focused? If you want to follow Jesus, put down the selfie stick and pick up a cross. 
denying yourself in order to follow Jesus. Amen.